Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Poisoner's Cabinet. I'm Sinead. And I'm Nick. And this is your weekly podcast exploring the lives of the great poisoners and macabre murders from across the centuries and creating curious cocktails inspired by the Dells of Riddell. And it's episode 72. 72. 72. 72. Nothing exciting happens at 72. No, it doesn't. 72 is just a very unexciting number. You just realise the inevitability of death, maybe at that point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. Okay, that was... Fine, let's go with that. The 72, The Inevitability of Death. That's what this episode is subtitled. (laughs) (laughs) I think when we we cover the story, then then, then yes, very much for a lot of people. (laughs) How are you, Nick? I'm hot and annoyed. You're hot because... Hot because it's fucking hot. <laughs> and you're fucking hot. Yay! Um, it's hot and sweaty and unpleasant and I don't like it. Especially this evening, actually. It's got It's worse. very muggy. Yeah. And when we record this, we have to close all windows and doors to stop sound bleed. So we've sealed ourselves into a nice humid box. But we are back recording in isolation because poor Nick got pinged this week. I got pinged. Which means... People who don't know what the, the grand pinging is if you're not in the UK. <laughs> it's not a wonderful sex club. It's not an exciting sex club, no. I got I got tracked and traced. So I have been somewhere near someone who may have had COVID at some point somewhere. And therefore the NHS have told me, no, you must stay at home forever and never leave the house. On the In the hottest week of the year. Yeah. No walks in the park or dips in the river for you. Can't go, oh, I fancy a cooling beverage. I go to the shop. No, can't do that. Oh, no. Today I'm especially grumpy. <laughs> and it's recording day. Yay! Yay! Aren't you lucky? And I've written an incredibly long story. Yay! Oh, good. Oh, yay. <laughs> Look, Nick, it's okay. It's for the great you're good great you're good and you'll be free by the weekend oh you have no idea i'm i'm free as of 11 39 friday evening midnight i should be down the clubs <laughs> I'm, I'm going for it i'm going i'm going to clubbing because i can busting the moves on the so, dance floor yeah absolutely so and i expect you there with me uh, yes i listen to all of the latest tunes on the hit parade <laughs> i should be there doing the should we do the pointy dance together as well the pointy yes, dancing absolutely. The excellent pointy dancing. (laughs) I look forward to it. Well, speaking of going down the clubs and lots of pointy dancing and fury, let's thank our delicious, sexy Patreon subscribers. Well, we met them down the club. So thank you very much to Jenny Whelan. To Erin Lewis. And to Elmarie Lombard. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Very, very sexy. Thank you for joining us. We've had a lovely week in ancient Egypt on Patreon this week. Yes. With some of the history. Some of the history. Some of the lies. (laughs) Made some made up shit. Some 
lies about pharaohs. Cleopatra, it was the most <laughs> thorough retelling of her life ever. Let's go with that. Well, Nick, are you ready? <laughs> oh, no. To drink cocktails and talk about poison, he says, necking a cider. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm <laughs> knocking her back, going, come on, this will make me feel better. <laughs> this is the stare Ooh. of a desperate man. <laughs> Or, I mean, or we could drink poison and talk about cocktails. Well, yes, that's what I want. Uh, we re- finally reached it. That's, that's reached it. Should we give it one more week of drinking oh, cocktails? one more. One more One week. more week. You've twisted my arm. <laughs> we'll go with the first one, possibly for the last ever time, but it's fine. It all hinges on this week, apparently, people. And we thought 72 was going to be done. Yeah, exactly. The inevitability of death. <laughs> It's coming for us. Well, it's my story this week. Hooray, hooray, hooray. We can't have a story without a cocktail in hand. As you know, dear listeners, every week we choose a secret ingredient that is inspired by the tale that we tell. That for flavour, our cocktail of the week. My story, so my pick. And the secret ingredient this week is bark. Yes. It's worse than its bite. <laughs> that's the name of the cocktail i'm going to be very disappointed <laughs> yes bark and bark's got lots of options well it's got two. Oh, has it only two two obvious ones um okay i didn't really think this through clearly i was uh, well <laughs> i mean the only one i could think of don't tell me obviously what it is until then but the the, the one i'd thought of was cinnamon and then the mm. other one was quinine yeah it's good just made a gin and tonic exactly and i only thought of quinine when when our friend wrote it on instagram and i went yeah totally that's what i was thinking but there's yes. other kinds of bark aren't there not not but i think that are used in drinks so i did just sort of google like spices that come from bark and cinnamon is obviously the big one but i didn't find any others say so apart from quinine comes from a tree i mm. can't pronounce in south america jesuits bark it's also known as Ooh. and that's where you get your bitterness in tonic because of the jesuits because of the jesuits yeah. they are very bitter people oh, well you can't just use a nice hunk of oak <laughs> perhaps i should have whittled a drinking vessel from a hunk of tree or something oh yeah um, from the grounds of my estate exactly yeah next to your paddling pool perfect <laughs> perfect or just just a bit of stick to stir it with it went I, I ran out of time i'm just stirring it with a twig <laughs> well lovely well with bark then as the inspiration ingredient what have you come up with well so this week we are having a drink which i think will be interesting it comes from a, it comes from a good place, so I I have high hopes for this. When you say it comes from a good place, do you mean a good place in your heart? No, in, no, no, I came from a good place with this, but my God, no, from a good source. Ooh, okay, good, good, good. This week we're having a mean fiddler. A mean fiddler. Yep. Oh, I like that. It's I a good like name. That. I did like that name, and I thought that's a good name. Mean fiddler. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, I'm excited. Well, I think it's time for us to start drinking. Without further ado, it's time for us to go into our isolation kitchens and shake up a storm. So we'll see you in a minute. We'll see you in a bit. And we're back. Hello. So a mean fiddler, eh, Nick? Mean fiddler. What made him mean? He's seen too many things in his fiddling ways. Well, indeed. It is ruby red. It is resplendent in its loveliness. It is the colour I like to see a cocktail. Yeah. It is a good cocktail colour. It's not too dark. And it's a nice full glass as well. Yes, it is a hefty measure. So Nick has delivered me the secret ingredients. I've no idea what's in it. So with bark, then uh, could be could be one of many things. So let's have a little snifter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do I detect a hint of cinnamon? <laughs> Any excuse to say that line? Okay, I think there's oh, cinnamon. Yeah. This, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not familiar with cinnamony cocktails. So, well, let's let's dive in. Give it a go. Okay, Merry Christmas. Yeah, indeed. Ooh. 
Oh, yes. Oh, that's good. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, that's yes, dangerous. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Nick's got a big smile on his face. Oh, I have. This is the sort of cocktail I like. This is exactly the sort of cocktail you like. Oh, that is tasty. Oh, I'm, in- oh, I'm intrigued. Oh, my God. It's, it's done weird things. <laughs> so that's got some big punchy flavours in it, that. Big flavours. Okay, I'm going to try and guess what's in it. I'm going to guess there's some, there's some cinnamon in this. There is some cinnamon, absolutely, yep. But it's not overpowering, you know, you think no, it's... cinnamon in, you think aftershock cinnamon and those days of doing those shots at weddings and then your friends ask you to leave. But it's not that <laughs> kind of cinnamony taste. It's very subtle and it's just got a warmth. Because some cinnamon cocktails can come out really autumnal when you've got the, sort of the apple cinnamony things. The hottest day of the world so far is not the day to have. <laughs> that cocktail when my eyeballs are sweating at the moment a hint of cinnamon i'm gonna guess at some red vermouth there's some red vermouth yeah now the other flavors in there again i feel like we're in slightly medicinal territory maybe that's the cinnamon and i'm getting that confused with like mouthwash or something like that and it doesn't (laughs) taste of that at all i have to say there is an awful lot going on in this cocktail oh it does feel like that and i'm um just just tell Um, me nick tell me what it is stop tormenting me (laughs) i said this came from a good source this is actually one from the the dead rabbit the new york bar Ooh, it's an irish bar called the dead rabbit and they are world famous for their cocktails and we shall go there for research oh, we shall we shall go there one day because they've got a recipe book out a cocktail book out and i once upon a time i very nearly bought it i was flicking through it but it has got the most obscure ingredients in it really that i thought there's no way in a million years i'll ever be able to make any of these but then i came across one that i could and it fitted with this week's story so i'm Yay! very happy so irish whiskey yes yes Yes. Ooh. <laughs> Would not have guessed that was in there. I thought maybe a bourbon or something, but Irish whiskey. Ooh, I'm happy. We have Irish whiskey. We have red vermouth. Then we have a peated scotch. What? Yes, indeed. We've got a drop of that in there. Oh, have you used the Laphroaig? Indeed, I have. Yes, nice, nice, so nice. So we've got a bit of that in there. Uh, we've got some Campari going on. <laughs> what? We have the cinnamon syrup, as you correctly surmised in there. We have some Angostura bitters. Nice. And the pièce de résistance. Right. Some green chartreuse. No, no. Oh. And you said you liked it. You said you liked it. You said you liked it. Oh, as soon as I said this medicinal bit, I was like, is he fucking put chartreuse in this? Oh, God. Well, I'm hidden amongst everything else. So there's an awful lot going on there, but it actually equals to a incredibly nice cocktail. You're right that this is a good one for hiding chartreuse because while <laughs> it's in there... As soon as you get it, it's then hidden by all the loveliness of all the other things that's in there. It's scotch and Irish whiskey together. Wow. What a combination. There's a few cocktails that do that. There's a few cocktails that have both of them. Yeah. This is right up my alley, this one. This is very much your cup of tea. I'm going to also say it's quite uh, thick. Yeah, heavy boozy one it's not your sharp no citrusy one that sometimes that you either you prefer that sort of more fruity citrusy ones mine just smacks you in the face these ones it's thick but it's got a lovely mouth feel to it yeah absolutely it's beautiful it is a beautiful cocktail that is sophistication to the hilt whoever is out there has invested in green chartreuse now is your moment now is your moment absolutely and because you'll probably have everything else red vermouth and campari for your negronis hopefully you'll yeah. have a decent scotch in the house if you've been listening to me this whole time you'll have a very good irish whiskey uh, and then chuck whatever else is in there <laughs> yeah absolutely this is doable for 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 a few people at home and i would really say give it a go it is damn nice and it's definitely one that's going to come onto my regular repertoire evening sipping one on the hottest day of the year 
<laughs> we should have had pina coladas but i don't think that would go with the story would it not? you know what i really think this is you've absolutely pulled this out of the bag a mean fiddler and this is so appropriate for this week's episode I'm glad. i think yay so with our mean fiddlers firmly in hand arm in arm as it were <laughs> playing a jaunty tune as we march down the street nice are you ready for a story nick oh i should think so yeah, because it's a biggie. Good, good, good. Ooh, how it's one of the ones. Not one of the ones. One of the ones. One of the ones, or maybe one of the two. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because, Nick, today we are going to cover a series of very, very, very famous murders that indirectly but genuinely saved hundreds and maybe thousands of lives. Okay. A curious contradiction going on there. Indeed, because what else could it be but the story of the notorious duo William Burke and William Hare? Nice. Now, what do you know of this story? Do you know it? Well, I know like a grave robbery type Ah. thing for medical specimens. I think it'll start off that way. Then they thought, this is far too difficult. Therefore, we will kill people. You're you're partially right, but it's good that you've picked up on, oh, were they grave robbers? For I shall dispel some myths here Mm. as well. But murder, very much on the cards this week. Let's not beat around the bush. It's a big story. There's a lot going on. But let's start with the men themselves. Quick little history of William Burke and William Hare. Two Williams, mm, for the price of one. Now, both of them hailed from Ireland, as all mental murderers do. William Burke, born 1792, County Tyrone. He had more of the respectable upbringing of the two men. He had a middle-class family, apparently, uh, served in the army alongside his brother. He had a wife and two children in Ireland. Seemed to be happy and settling down. But all we know is there was some sort of disagreement with the family and he abandoned them all and relocated to Scotland. Well, that's what one does after disagreements with the family. Indeed. I feel is an appropriate reaction. You left the butter out instead of putting it in the fridge. I'm moving. (laughs) to scotland (laughs) i'm moving to scotland (laughs) so he spent time in falkirk while he was in scotland working on the union canal and it was there that he met his partner helen nelly mcdougall so she's all but his common law wife through this but let's see so if i say wife at any point it's they may not have ever actually been married but they were definitely together the whole time now the couple eventually moved to edinburgh in 1827 and the city that on one hand is one of the most respected seats of learning in the world and on the mm. other is but a cesspit of crime and debauchery overrun by immigrants and ruffians in the streets of old town they're big on their doctors and things i believe they very lots much of, are a very medical city very medical city also full of crime and awful things well i think every every city was i think at that point (laughs) i will stand by edinburgh love it love edinburgh one of the best cities in the world if you haven't been go go people so burke is making his way there selling secondhand goods he's also trying his hand at cobbling he used to sing and dance, apparently, when he was playing his trade to people. Da, 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 da. People liked him. Apparently, he was very charming. He wasn't bad looking. He wasn't particularly handsome. He was prone to flying into sudden fits of rage, though. But we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. So there's a less attractive quality, really. A less attractive quality. Singing and dancing and then <laughs> ah, rage and, and then punching a horse. Now to the story of William Hare. And as less pretty, as he was indeed less pretty than Burke, it was often remarked upon. His background. <laughs> is a little bit more patchy not much is known about his childhood (laughs) what a surprise now we don't even know what year he was born in it was anywhere between 1792 maybe early 1800s no one really knows no one knows his family background we sort of can surmise
guys, he was a labourer in County Armagh for some years before he moved to Edinburgh in the 1820s. When he moved over, he took various jobs, again, around working on canals and and doing the harvest and labouring, but he would end up in lodgings at a house in Westport in the city, in a lodging house run by a woman named Margaret Laird and her husband. Now, Burke certainly had eyes for Margaret, oh, to be (laughs) sure. And they were quite taken with each other. And funnily enough, when Mr. Laird died a short while later, most likely of natural causes, there's nothing untoward suggested here. Hare and Maggie, I'm going to call her for this story. Don't know if she was known as Maggie, but it's just easier. She is now. She is. Maggie. They were soon shacked up together in her boarding house and they ran the business together. Her as the landlady, Hare as the person going, give us the money. (laughs) It's, uh, you know, if we're painting a fairy tale romantic picture here, which I'm not... Uh, let me dispel this even further. Whereas Burke could be described as rough but charming, Hare was illiterate, uncouth, violent, short. Everyone kept saying he was so short. It's gonna make something. It's gonna make you angry. Shortness, the greatest poison of them all. <laughs> A relentless drinker and people described his appearance over the years and it would always be embellished from time to time. At the time, though, he said he was covered with scars and marks from the various fights he'd gotten into. There's one account where his nice. they said his eye was much higher than the other one. And wonky eyes. And wonky <laughs> eyes. They never looked at you straight. It's like, okay. Most of the people who encountered him were hammered, so maybe that was it. <laughs> but he and Maggie loved to go drinking together. He loved to go drink and carouse with his work colleagues wherever he was, but he loved also a good bite him and maggie fought like cats and dogs he was known to beat her savagely on numerous occasions so it's not long before burke and Hare cross paths they worked together at some point during a harvest and they lived near each other in the city soon the two couples meet and they become firm drinking pals now maggie's boarding house is anything but luxurious don't picture it as a lovely nice oh yes a nice bed and breakfast with frills and doilies and croissants which were the style at the time (laughs) the style of the time absolutely now it wasn't a pricey place to say no but a couple of pennies per night but those who lodged there had nothing but wooden box beds if you could even call them that filled with rotten straw for your mattress you were crammed into your rooms if you had a bed for the night you'd have to probably share it with a stranger who'd staggered in there the room stank of human waste and sickness it was a place for the hopeless someone like old donald one of their residents not old donald a sickly ex-soldier donald had begun lodging in the house and he'd been staying there for some time during the winter of 1827 he'd obviously been there for a while because he owed almost four pounds in back rent god that's considerable but he promised he promised his landlady he was due to get an army pension and he would pay off all of his debts Oh, I promise, I promise. <laughs> but sadly, on the 27th of November, the hares found Donald dead in his bed from dropsy. Boom. That is a nuisance. That is inconvenient, yes. Because what on earth do you do in Edinburgh when you have a dead body on your hands? <laughs> well, I don't know. Well, we are, as you said, in a city that is known for its learning, known for its medical prowess and its medical studies. This is the place to be for anatomical study, my friend. Ah, and mm. now it's time for Sinead's history lesson. <laughs> Settle in. So in 19th century Edinburgh, this is the place to go if you want to learn about the human body. And sometimes during the Edinburgh Festival these days, it's the place to be. (laughs) But the city was known as one of the foremost centres, as you said, for learning, for budding anatomists and surgeons. For centuries before, 
all you had was to look at pictures and vague sketches and a degree of trial and error if you wanted to learn how to be a doctor and perform any kind of surgery. Cutting up a corpse after death was deemed by many before now as completely a sin and utterly frowned upon, a fate far worse than death in these religious times. The body and the soul could have no rest of it and been hacked to pieces by doctors after you had passed. But you need access to actual dead bodies to literally get under the skin of people to understand how they work. So it wasn't until the Murder Act of 1752 that the stance on autopsies changed. That was when the law finally permitted that bodies of murderers could be dissected after death in the interests of medical science. Because they don't need to go to heaven, Oh, no, 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 their souls are damned, my dear. They're damned to hell. So suddenly there's a huge demand, as you can imagine, for corpses by medical schools. (laughs) We've got free reign, people. We can do what we like. (laughs) And things really were reaching a peak in the early 1800s. Now, as I said, it's permissible to use dead criminals in medical study, also those who had died by suicide. That's quite sad. But yes, they're damned. They're not going to get a Christian burial. Oh, indeed. All the damned people. These people whose souls couldn't be saved, they could be hacked up on the slab and the various medical schools around the world would pay a pretty penny for a corpse or two. It does sound like a song, actually. It does. I was just thinking, I thought that must be from a song. I'll pay a pretty penny for a corpse or two. I'll write that later, trust me. Now, as lawless and wild a place as Edinburgh was, there just weren't enough hangings to go round, Nick. Ugh. (laughs) Uh, This is true. There were reports of crowds surging at hangings of the families on one side trying to reclaim the corpse of the criminal who'd been hanged so they could give them a burial and medical students on the other side trying to get it and like, no, we need to dissect it. No, we need to chop them up. Indeed, back you nerds, back, back. So if there aren't just enough damned criminals around and people topping themselves, what is to be done? Well, hmm, you can always dig up a corpse or two if you're resourceful. (laughs) There's puns galore all the way through this. Yeah, indeed. So in this vein, the famous resurrection men came into being, or grave robbers, as you pointed out earlier. Once people realised that they could make a few bobs selling dead bodies to medical schools, thieves and students alike, from either end of the spectrum, they started creeping into graveyards to dig up fresh graves and get the bodies. Because a corpse could go for as much as £8. See, that's a, that's, a, that's a decent chunk of cash. That's months worth of wages. That is that is a huge amount of money. So grave robbing is seen as a lucrative business. How is this legal? You may ask. Why weren't people being arrested left, right and centre? Interesting fact, grave robbing, a misdemeanour. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yep. <laughs> no, a slap on the wrist for that one. Slap on the wrist, small fine, that's it. The dead don't belong to anyone at that time. Mm. Uh, wrecking a grave because that's owned by their family. That's an offence. It's arrestable. Uh, robbing the corpse of its possessions or the family's possessions, what they put in, you could be done for that. But the dead body is nobody's property. So you just get a fine. And whoever you're selling it to would more than cover the cost of any fees mm. that you might incur. The unis would pay no questions asked a lot of the time or the private surgeons who wanted to teach. And the police may well have also been receiving nice tidy payoffs and fees from people. So that's why grave robbing became so famous and was rife. It was the families who took more measures to stop the practices. And this is where you get the degree of hilarity to stop people (laughs) 
getting into graves and why people had to resort to different measures. So you've got to get to the bodies within four or five days at the time because yep. that's it. There's no embalming. Otherwise, decomposition, decomposition sets decomposition. in. Decomposition. There are going to be no use to anyone. That's also why it was better to rob in the winter rather than the summer, as you can oh, imagine. yes. But better preserved, Indeed. yes. More dead people in the winter as well, I suppose. Yeah, that's a very good point. More dead people. I'm ready supply, frozen. So... The families wanting to protect their graves. This is where we see in the introduction of people having stone slabs across their graves mm. and the famous mort safes. Oh, those big cast iron sort of... Cages. Cages, yeah. Cages the over the <laughs> graves. And you rented those. Mm. You'd rent them for a week and then someone else would get them and you'd move them After around that, the graveyard. who needs it? <laughs> exactly. So until they were rotted enough that they were no use. Yeah. You could also hire an armed guard to protect the grave if you were rich enough you know have someone mm -hmm. there with a rifle this is apparently true you also if you couldn't hire a person you could just set up a trip wire linked to like a rifle or a shotgun so if anyone <laughs> came near your Booby grave trap them <laughs> it would go off that's not the sort of thing you want to forget about if there's an actual legitimate funeral the next day <laughs> we commend his body to the ground oh my word oh granny's dead <laughs> Guns firing everywhere. So there we go. These are all the obstacles that you face if you want to actually sell a dead body in normal times. But if, like Burke and Hare, you live in the stinking mess that was Old Town and you find yourself with a dead body, you can make a little money out of it pretty easily. And this was the suggestion that Hare made over Old Donald's corpse. The old man owed them back rent, so morally... The hares were just seeking repayment of their debt and at the time mm -hmm. would have been seen as, you know, OK, fair enough. They hadn't killed yeah. him. So Hare enlists the help of Burke to get rid of the body. So as not to arouse suspicion, they order a cheap wooden coffin paid for by the parish. They place him inside. But under dead of night, Burke and Hare sneak back in. They open the coffin, take the body out and they replace his body with bark from the local ah. tanners. Ah. They fill it up with the bark that they've got from the local tunnels, weigh the coffin down. No one's going to select, suspect a thing or come looking for them. Mm -hmm. da, 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 da. They shove old Donald into a tea chest and they head towards Edinburgh University. <laughs> now, in the, the 1820s, the University of Edinburgh's chief anatomist was Professor Alexandra Munro. And he taught the likes of Charles Darwin. Nice. But he was very, very dull as a teacher. Oh, he was <laughs> not fun. He was apparently filthy and gross and boring and Charles Darwin just talked about it a lot going he's just awful I don't like this <laughs> he ended up going Charles Darwin ended up going to another surgeon to learn about anatomy and then was so horrified by the process and he went I'm going to learn about nature I don't like it yes I'm going to look at birds he's now he <laughs> spent the rest of his life looking at birds and did well out of that I'm yeah told. well indeed yeah. <laughs> the duo when they get to the university they encounter a student outside the buildings and they ask for Professor Monroe but the student says to them oh you might want to seek out Dr. Knox, Dr. Robert Knox, in Surgeon's Square. He would welcome, he's the sort of man who'd uh, welcome any corpses you have and will pay <laughs> handsomely for it. At this point, I don't know if Burke and Hare are holding the body badly stuffed into a chest <laughs> between them. And the student goes, yeah, you really need to go and see Dr. Knox. This is weird. Quickly, yeah. <laughs> Dr. Knox at the time is a member of the Royal Society of Surgeons in Edinburgh. He lectures there twice a day. He is a pioneer in a way of demonstrating dissections, examining bodies to determine safe treatments for the living. He is credited as one of the best and most talented anatomists of the time with a brilliant mind and an incredibly animated, exciting lecturing style. So there was huge demand for his lessons. So far better than dull old Monroe. He mm. was also known 
to be so good because he had what others didn't, a steady supply of fresh corpses. Uh, the fresher, the better, Nick. The freshness <laughs> is all. Freshness is key. It is. Burke and Hare make their way to his offices and they at first deal with some of his staff, but ultimately meet Dr. Knox. And he is only too pleased to pay them seven pounds and ten shillings for this old man they brought to him. And as they leave, the assistant says they would only be too happy to see them again. <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Dr. Knox needs fresh corpses and they don't. he doesn't care to ask questions on where they came from. As long as they're not obviously injured. If they come up with an axe in their head, it's like, okay, no, this is, this yep. is bad. Dr. Knox was working for the greater good in his head. He may have been a brilliant, brilliant anatomist who's very, very arrogant. He did make examinations and his students would go on to learn so much from these corpses, wherever he got them from, that would save lives. Mm. How he got them? Hmm. But yes, do the ends justify the means, though? So the first victim of Burke and Hare was not actually murdered. He was the first person who was sold. But the next victim was not as cold-blooded murder, but was seen as a business transaction. As we said, the boarding house that they have is filled with undesirables who bring in a lot of misery and also potentially a lot of disease. And if... Kill them! Well, yeah, if a boarding house is at risk of getting cholera 
it will be shut down completely. It is mm. similar to the pandemic, and you can identify right now, Nick, that's the thing. <laughs> if one person is suspected to have cholera in a boarding house, the authorities would come and go, shut it down, shut it down, absolute quarantine, mm. cordoned off, they'd have no money coming in, and it's pittance as it is. So when a miller named Joseph comes through the door and develops a terrible fever and a cough and is in a delirious state in his bed. The hares realise their livelihood is at stake. Mm. He can't have long to live. Maybe we no, just no, 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 no. help him on his way. <laughs> it's a kindness, really. He's suffering, obviously. Isn't it? Isn't it? They, they give him a good send-off. Burke plies him with whiskey. <laughs> fills him to the brim. Perhaps with one of these lovely cocktails, which also has the whiskey has all the whiskies in it <laughs> and whiskey figures very very heavily in this story so actually well done in combining the two in this but yeah whiskey is one of the tools of their trade they apply him with whiskey and when he is a g- near unconscious he is subjected to a good burking <laughs> now you laugh okay you laugh nick it is an actual phrase yeah, is it a good burking a burking is the method burke and hare developed to murder their victims hare would generally it was this way around hair would cover the mouths and the nose of the victim block the airways without excessive pressure and burke would lie across their body across the chest to compress it and also Mm. to stop them flaying around and this would mean there were no bruising there was no bruising there was no signs of struggle the bodies were pretty much unmarked as they suffocated so it was a kind of ingenious way of killing someone without Mm. leaving a mark so that's why it's called burking the classic old Give him a good old book. Exactly. And it would inspire later burkers. <laughs> it did. Yeah, who then said, can we can we change the name, please? This is just weird. Maybe look up the London burkers, because <laughs> they did way worse. But off they went to Knox with Joseph's body over their shoulder in a tea chest, in a tea chest. And Knox paid them this time a whole £10 for the body. Mm. Now, now, mm. now, Burke and Hare are partners in crime. They have no intention of stopping what they're doing. They are on to a lucrative business. So there follows a string of murders. The order of these murders in which they're committed is hotly debated because we only have one person's testimony later on and the dates of the accounts shift around. But we are looking at, in total, 16 people who will die. That's pr- pretty good going. By Burke and Hare's hand. So, in summary, <laughs> there was an English match seller, good profession, who stayed at the lodging house, fell ill with jaundice, another person to get rid of. Oh, they're slightly ill. Oh, it will, oh it, we, mm. there's a risk that the house will close. Like, jaundice isn't catching. That's just... <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a contagious thing. <laughs> no, like, oh yeah, we should definitely kill him. But the more they do it, the more cold-blooded they become. Burke and Hare are known to be drinkers and carousers. They're only too happy to approach people in the street together or solo and go, come for a drink with me. A little bit like me when I'm lonely. <laughs> They say, come drinking, Burke in particular was charming. He was a bit more handsome than hair. People often obliged heading to the pubs for a round after round of whiskey or rum and bitters was also a drink of theirs. Or they would go to the house for a wee dram. Oh, we have bitters too. We have bitters too. Oh, we have bitters in the cocktail. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We've got three, three things. You pulled a blinder, my friend. I truly have. Have another drink to celebrate. I'm I'm waiting for the chartreuse moment you you come up with. Well, that was decided to be the greatest poison of them all. And they were convicted (laughs) for just sort of knowing about it. That was the final (laughs) killing. Yes, people would be invited into the house for a wee dram. So the the pair of them or solo would go out looking for victims to drag them into the house. And they didn't have to be dragged, really. The promise of free whiskey in the part of Old Town. Eh, no one's going to really turn that down. Abigail Simpson was one such woman. An older woman who sold salt in the streets. 
as you do. Nice one, though. In 1828, she was invited into the house for some booze, filled to the brim with drinks until she was so drunk she couldn't go home, sort of passes out on a bed for the night, and sure enough, she is booked, and she's delivered to Dr. Knox in the tea chest for another £10. Thrilled to receive a fresh body. If you think the men acted without their wives' knowledge, you'd be wrong and stupid. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably unlikely as they're doing it in the same house. Margaret Hare, I'll go out on a limb to say that she was uh, very happily actively involved. She absolutely knew what was happening and so did Nellie. Yeah. So did Nellie. Um, Margaret Hare was one who was reported to go out and coax people into the house with the promise of drink and then they'd let the, the guys get rid of them. She would take their possessions, she'd take their clothes. They would just get all the money they could out of these people. One night, Burke caught the eye of Mary Patterson and Janet Brown in the tavern. Pretty young women, very pretty. And Burke was only too happy to buy them drinks all night. They'd had a bit of a rough background, a bit of a sad time, and they wanted some company. And they were drinking through the night. And he convinced them to come back to his house for some breakfast. It wasn't a chat-up line. Maybe, maybe it was, you know. <laughs> yes. Come for some breakfast. Come to mine for breakfast. You say that about eight in the evening. Come to mine for breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's early eight o'clock. Oh, my. Oh, my. I don't know. I think it was about five in the morning. He's like, no, come for breakfast. Come for breakfast. I'll kill you. No, wait. Forget that last bit. Forget that last bit. They get back to the house and this scene unfolds where they arrive back and Burke has been charming with them. And, you know, he's not bad on the eye. When they arrive, Nellie flies into a jealous rage, accusing her husband of flirting with other women, that he's being unfaithful. They fight bitterly, him throwing her out of the room. She coming in, he throws a whiskey bottle at her head at one point and it cuts her. He ends up locking her out of the room. By this stage, poor Mary is so drunk that she has fallen asleep on the bed and Janet is left talking to Burke, who has been so charming to her, but she's just seen how he's acted with his partner, mm. his wife, who she takes her to be. And she feels uneasy and manages to get away. She says, no, I, I, I need to leave and and does actually get out of the house but Hare arrived soon after Janet had slipped away and Mary who was left in the house unconscious on the bed was murdered returning later Janet was told her friend had left with a traveling salesman to Glasgow okay as you do as one does it's key that on delivery at Dr Knox's the pretty young woman very healthy Mary Patterson one of the assistants looks at her and he recognizes her for years, people thought that meant she was a prostitute. Uh, apparently, it wasn't. That it's every likelihood that she had been ill, and maybe she was treated by some of these medical students in the past. And she's very striking, and she is. She's got a red. She's lovely red hair. Apparently, this is the one time that one of the assistants starts asking, like, where where did this woman come from? You know, she's she was mm. young and how did she die where did you get this body they said she's drunk herself to death in the old town an old woman gave me the body of the place that she was staying in but they also warned the assistant never to ask questions again or they would not return with any more corpses they took their money and they left so the murders mount up now over this year and the money rolls in you've got mrs holdane a lodger of theirs mrs holdane's daughter who came looking for her mother who was invited in by burke treated some drink and he killed her too so there would be no more questions elderly lodgers a woman named effie who was scavenging for scraps and rubbish in the street no one was going to miss her brought her in people who were 
falling over drunk in the street one lady who was so completely hammered Burke helps her home a constable actually helps him take her back to the lodging (laughs) and he's like yeah thank you very much and then she's killed with hair a woman and her mute grandson who lodged in the house this is one of the more disturbing murders it's the same method the grandmother is killed but the the grandson is a child and it's the one killing that Burke would later confess was the thing that troubled him the most because he could never forget the look on the young boy's face. Mm, not surprised. But Knox still paid eight pounds for him. Mm. Mm. So there's even killings by Hare when Burke and his wife went away to Falco to, to visit family, which causes rifts between the two of them. They're supposed to sort of do this together, but if he's killing people when you're away, I'm not getting my share of the profits. You're trying to screw me over. There's all these fights going on. Mrs. Osler, a washerwoman, a relative of Nellie's who comes to stay, Anne McDougall, who visited and never left. And this is one case where... When Margaret Hare says we should probably get rid of Nellie as well. She's she's all for the blood. The last two victims would mark the spiral towards their downfall. Jamie Wilson was known locally rather cruelly at the time as Daft Jamie. Jamie was 18 years old. He was mentally and physically disabled. He had a limp because he had deformed feet and he begged on the streets. People knew him and recognised him and he was harmless and he liked Mm. to drink he really was a fan of snuff more than whiskey but he was chanced upon by Burke and Hare and they invited him back to their lodgings with the promise of whiskey and Jamie didn't actually drink that much whiskey they probably thought he would be an easy target actually Jamie was quite Mm. strong and he was one of the people who fought them very hard but good for Jamie unfortunately he was killed in the end But he was noted and people recognised him and they noticed that he was missing. But no one had ever asked questions before about all these bodies turning up at Dr Knox's practice. How was he getting all of these fresh corpses? But if they hadn't asked before, they were going to now because when Jamie arrived, even the students recognised him. His assistants were like, wait, that is... Jamie Wilson that's Darth Jamie how has he turned up what's happened to him Mm. and maybe people wouldn't have asked questions but Dr Knox was quite insistent that he couldn't be someone that they knew this wasn't anyone that you know don't worry about it look there's nothing to let's not question this before he was used for dissection Knox cut off his head and his feet. <laughs> right, okay. So whoever was coming in to witness the dissection would notice it, which I Wouldn't feel is a little bit twattish. Yes, definitely. Yes. But as I said, by now, relations between Burke and Hare had really started to deteriorate. They are accusing each other of trying to cut them out of deals, not sharing the spoils. And the crux comes on Halloween in 1828, nice. the 31st of October. You all know when Halloween is. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> it was the moon was high. Now, Burke invites a woman named Marjorie Doherty to stay at his guest house. Burke has his guest house. Hare also has a separate uh, accommodation desk down the road. Gets a little convoluted here because both of them gave very conflicting statements. But what we can surmise is Marjorie Doherty is invited to stay at Burke's. Burke had two other guests staying with him that night, James and Anne Gray. Burke claims that Marjorie Doherty is a relative of theirs from Ireland. He says she's obviously the intended victim. James and Anne Gray can't kill them. They're probably slightly more respectable and have family and stuff. (laughs) He asks them to go and stay at Hare's house so they have some privacy. What ends up happening is that James and Anne are out of the the lodging house. The Burks and the Hares get together with Marjorie and they're drinking and they're carousing and the, the, the Greys see them all drinking together. 
But the next day when the Greys return to the house, there is no sign of Marjorie. And they're like, okay. And they're like, oh, she left. She totally left. Mm. She, yeah, she She's went. She's there. Away. Like, she totally left. Please don't go in your room. <laughs> okay, well, I need some stuff in there. Our stuff is in there. It's like, don't go, don't, just give it a minute. Just, mm, you know. Uh, eventually the Greys and this sort of back and forth of what the fuck is going on, they do get back into their room and they are suspicious about what's happening and they search mm. and when they look under the bed in the straw of their bed they find marjorie's body hidden oh, wow there. that's dramatic the, the course of events is very short because of this couple who are staying in the guest house and they're quite insistent they want to come back and get their stuff probably because they think oh we're being kicked out of the lodging house and our things are in this room you're probably going to steal them and i say our things like stockings and like luggage and bits yeah. and pieces like that and, like you know it's not a fancy place but it's like well what's going on here so they're right to be suspicious but they find her body uh and she has blood on her face so the struggle might must have been real on this one why would you put it in the, why would that be the first place you would think to hide the body it seems a mad place it's it's a bit crazy maybe they were they wanted them out of the house for some reason they thought that was a good idea the greys of course go straight to the police and it's said mm. that on their way to the police nelly mcdougall stops them in the street and offers them 10 pound a week to keep their mouth shut ah. and they go no no good. sorry good for them marjorie in the meantime has swiftly been dropped off at dr knox's mm no problem here's some money exchanged but the police have now been alerted by james and Anne gray something is wrong so the police come knocking at burke's door and Hare's door as they search the properties they don't find a body but they find bloody clothing under the bed mm. and the two couples just start flinging around all manner of conflicting stories it's enough for them to be going okay what's going on just give us a straight answer no this happened here there was no one here this is lies i was dead at the time i don't know he did it she did it no one did it shut up the police eventually arrive at knox's rooms whether they've had a tip off whether some people have whispered something or one of them has let slip about dr knox they arrive there and they find marjorie's body james gray the guest is able to come and identify that is the woman that i have seen them carousing with and now she's here dead mm. burke and Hare and their wives are arrested for murder on suspicion of murder mm -hmm. on suspicion of murder it could have been entirely natural absolutely entirely natural well they do have a problem with this you see the four of them are still giving wildly conflicting stories never admitting guilt but never matching up with each other and in all of this noise the trouble is is how can they prosecute them because someone's dead but who can they pin it on and mm. and what evidence is there someone was there and now they're dead and no one's really saying what happened and there's no evidence of how they died witnesses after the quartet are arrested and the stories start to leak out to the press, start to come forward. Witnesses are now coming forward, including people who linked Jamie Wilson, Darth Jamie's disappearance with the quartet. People are talking. Janet, as well, as Mary Patterson's friend, is also coming forward and saying, yeah, there was something wrong here. There was something weird. But no one person could say that either Burke or Hare or their wives had killed someone. So after some time, the Lord Advocate decides he will break one of them. And that would be enough. He goes mm. to William Hare, the ruffian of them, and offers him immunity if he turns King's evidence. Ooh, sneaky. Yeah. If he turns King's evidence, he will have immunity. His wife will as well. You cannot testify against your wife. I, think, I don't know if you still can, actually. Still can't. Yeah. You still can't. You can't, be com you can't be compelled to testify, no. A man cannot be compelled to testify against his wife. Stop winking! <laughs> and Hare accepts. 
Of course he does. Ooh, of course he does. Sneaky bastard. He confesses to all of the murders they had committed, but absolutely places the blame with Burke. He tells them everything they want to know, giving enough detail and horrifying accounts to secure a conviction against William Burke and Nellie McDougall for the murders of Mary Patterson, James Wilson and Mrs Doherty. So at trial, William Burke and Nellie watch as round after round of witnesses come forward to give evidence against them. Not Dr Knox or his assistants. They're never called. Of course not, because they're respectable fancy people. They're on the list, but they aren't called. But William Hare gives evidence, and so does Margaret. Hare states solidly, Burke did all of the killings. It was 100% him. He only helped to move the odd trunk, and he moved people, and oh, I'm so sad. And his wife, ah, Nellie, yeah, she had a hand in it too. She definitely killed people. Margaret Hare takes a stand with her baby son in arms. Her Mm. baby has whooping cough, so the baby is sick, and she uses this to kind of go, oh, I have to tend to my child, and the rest of the time she's like, oh, I have such a bad memory, I can't really remember what happened, oh, I don't know, I don't know. So, but, But she's enough to fling the accusations around, but if she's actually pressed on any point, it's never really tested. But she can do what she likes. She's got immunity, and so is William Hare. The defense is... Pretty much zero, in summary. They try some stuff. They don't really call any witnesses. The jury takes 55 minutes to return a guilty verdict against William Burke for murder. Nellie was not convicted. They didn't find the evidence enough against her, so she would be released. So Burke is handed a death sentence by the judge, Boyle, who decreed that Burke should be dissected himself after death. Mm -hmm. Seems fair. And he said, I trust that if it is ever customary to preserve skeletons, yours will be preserved in order that posterity may keep in remembrance your atrocious crimes. And it is. And it is. (laughs) Burke was hanged in front of a crowd of 25,000 people on the 28th of January, 1829. People paid as much as 20 shillings for a good view of the scaffold. People rented (laughs) out their their windows and their rooms. Yeah. I think some of them were like five shillings. It's like restricted view seats. Restricted view, absolutely. There's a lamppost (laughs) in the way there, so you can't see much. But But you get the sense. You get the sense of it. You get an ice ice cream at intermission. (laughs) His body was indeed donated for dissection and it was boring old Professor Monroe of the University of Edinburgh who would carve him up. The popularity of this dissection was huge. Hundreds of students fought to gain access. The police had to actually guard this and they had to agree to let in 50 people at a time because they were rioting. Everyone wanted to have a piece of him. And indeed, during the dissection, people took souvenirs of the body, including pieces of his skin that were later tanned and used as book covers. Mm, nice. Professor Monroe famously wrote a note uh, with a quill dipped in Burke's blood, reading, This is written in the blood of William Burke, who was hanged in Edinburgh. This blood was taken from his head. Boring man. Boring man. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to write something in blood, come on, go for it, mate. Yeah, go, go for it. Really do something dramatic. Yeah, come on. <laughs> but indeed, his skeleton is still on display. And the pocketbook and the death mask are on display at the Surgeons Hall Museum in Edinburgh. Mm. Despite efforts from the victim's families to overturn his immunity, Hare was released from prison in February in 1829. And he, Nellie and Margaret Hare were all separately hounded out of Scotland. Each of them were trying (laughs) to make their way out and they were all at different times spotted 
while they were traveling and attacked by mobs where the police had to get involved they had to shelter <laughs> them they were hounded rocks thrown at them they were trying to be torn apart they got out of scotland no one knows what became of any of them william hare was famously told to head to the english border and was never heard of again <laughs> but what of knox what of well, dr knox who received all of these dead bodies knox was never convicted of a crime he said he believed the men had simply been watching poor houses where people were ill or dying and had snatched the bodies away before they were buried. He had done nothing wrong. He could not be convicted. But he was mm. shunned by his fellow professors at the university. His career, his notable career fell into decline as he started to resign from his various positions or sort of had to because his mm. life would be forever stained by the crimes of Burke and Hare. For as the playground rhyme goes, up the close and down the stair, but with Ben with Burke and Hare. Burke's the butcher, Hare's the thief. Knocks the boy that buys the beef. <laughs> Pretty nicely done. Yeah. <laughs> also quite the racist. Yes, his scientific studies, he was a big on scientific racism. He was like, the Celts are just all degenerates nice. and need to be wiped out. And did a lot of writing. Oh, it's quite bad. It's quite, quite, quite bad. But his yeah. studies of corpses mm. and the teachings of it of that school of anatomy would have saved lives. This was a heyday for anatomists. And this really is a heyday because now the use of cadavers in anatomy training has really rapidly reduced in favour of high-tech models and sort of 3D mm. computer 3D generations. But like. a lot of experts lament this and say it's not the same. It's not the same. You have to know and touch and smell and feel Absolutely. a body to understand where it works and how to save it. But does it justify 16 murders, Nick? No, no, that it doesn't. But that is the story and the legacy of <laughs> Burke and Hare. Well, hurrah. Nicely done. <laughs> we got there, Nick. We got there in the heat. So what do you think? What do you think, Nick? What do you think? Well, yeah, I mean, it certainly does not justify the means. Absolutely mm. not. There is nothing that justifies such things but yes I, I agree that such things need to be studied yeah i don't think you need to be murdering people they, they shouldn't i mean now you can donate your body to medical science while i was researching this yeah. i was walking where was i i was walking in the middle of canterbury high street and i was googling how do you donate your body to medical science and i was like this is a bleak thing to be doing on a other night <laughs> you still can you, you can, can and i think it's a very 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 noble cause if you do a very yeah absolutely as it just goes to show there's there's not a lot of people who do it and there's not access to it and it's yeah. vital it's it's vital to understand the human body yeah, i think it truly is you don't want to the first time you actually handle a, a body is is in a really life or death situation <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely yeah. not so no i fully fully agree with that and yeah I mean, these people who back in the day discovered all these amazing marvelous things about how the body works and such like fantastic and incredibly clever but not not by murdering peoples and also Knox yeah as clever as he may have been it's like he knew where yeah. these pe where these bodies were coming from he he these were not sort of oh yes they must have died of na entirely natural causes but that sort of level of arrogance and mm. confidence that well it's it what i do is so important um that it, that it justifies it an archetypal case of someone who is brilliant and who did incredible studies and people were flocking to see him. I'm sure he did a lot of good work ultimately in his early days, but he didn't care. He didn't care at all. These are fresh corpses. No. He just assumed people were dying. He didn't question. 
when young healthy people turned up he was like oh they drank themselves to death and they conveniently choked on their own vomit or something like that like oh yeah yeah no no questions when james wilson turned up he he went out of his way to stop him being identified all he had was a body and he probably thought brilliant let's examine this poor unfortunate soul he didn't he didn't want questions probably knowing that everyone else his his students what have you are going to go oh no this yeah. is not right let's remove everything that makes him identifiable as yeah and then he becomes just another anonymous cadaver on the slab so no he has a lot to answer for I feel. he he really did they couldn't conclude decisively that he had a hand and that he knew about this but then he ended up just being shunned and just mm. no we don't want to associate with you because it was burke and Hare. this was a huge story and would forever be associated with edinburgh still is today you know oh, people absolutely. go on the ghost hunts and go on the murder walks about you know let's let's learn about burke and Hare. and dr knox is part of that and they never yeah. would have done this if dr knox hadn't been paying huge amounts of money for a dead yeah. body which is reprehensible mm. don't offer to pay for dead bodies because that's only asking for trouble it's, it's only going to end one way and it's not going to be a good way I do love all of the um, the methods of protecting the graves, though. It's 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 incredible. Oh, those mort safes and things are awesome. You can still see them. Oh, yeah, yeah, You can yeah, still absolutely. see them in, um, I think, in, in Greyfriars, actually. Yeah, there's a, there's a few of them around. Yeah, I think there's a couple in there that they paid for, that the families were that rich that they could pay for them, and that you can see them like, yeah, no one's getting in there. No one's getting in there. But people, that, that actually adds to some of the folklore that people think that... But they were vampires! Yes, like to stop <laughs> them climbing out and like seal yeah. the corpses in. <laughs> to stop them getting up and getting out. And I was like, no, because no. people are going to steal them. <laughs> it's people stealing the shiny things and the bodies inside. It's a nice image as well that there must have been so many grave robbers just digging. Oh, everyone just turned up at night. Evening, evening. <laughs> evening. Which one are you but going you say for? say that, that stealing the, the, the body itself was... Was not a okay, crime. Okay, because not a crime, but the possessions, the clothing and any jewellery and stuff like that was. So you've got a few sort of a image of people digging up these bodies and stripping them and leaving all the, the coins yeah. and clothes and jewellery and whatever behind in the grave mm. and just taking the corpse, taking the just the naked body with them and leaving all this other stuff behind. Exactly, they had to because they could have been identified and that was the crime, is stealing no. because that technically belongs to the family, I think, uh, mm. under law. You know, it, it, was, it was a possession. But a dead yeah. body, it's your person and the person no longer exists but if you if you do the grave if you knocked over the headstone i mean you wouldn't have had a headstone at that sort of time in four or five days so there was nothing to worry about all you're doing is digging up and as long as you don't terribly damage the coffin i guess but then you're gonna fill the coffin back in you're not gonna leave, go, by yeah, the way we gonna... stole this shit yeah you're gonna weigh it down and then just take the body and go Hoo-hoo. it's a grim time it is, that's it is that's it, it is. did indeed inspire some other stories that we may well cover later on uh, and that's when maybe we'll have maybe. the musical accompaniment at the end i was thinking of doing that <laughs> so uh in the band i'm in there is a song about body snatching but that's related to the london burkers so if we cover that then you'll get a little taste of that music we probably should cover that. i think we should because wow that's that's a lot the london burkers what if you think burke and hair were bad they were like burke and hair let's just take this and times it by a million maybe not a million they didn't know how to count back then. But what do you think, people? What do you know about Birken Hare? Have you been to Edinburgh? Have you been on one of the many fabulous ghost walks and history tours of Birken Hare? Tell us all the facts that you know about them. There's so many juicy stories. What do you think about Dr. Knox? Should he have been <laughs> held accountable for his crimes? But is there some sort of twisted, weird kind of medical logic 
over time anthropologically that these people were arguing that you know the end justifies the means i don't think so and uh, neither does nick but nope. what do we think about the story tell us your thoughts tell us your theories tell us your ghost stories about burke and hare do people <laughs> haunt the streets of edinburgh or do they haunt your house for some reason <laughs> it'd be pretty cool yes. actually if burke and hare haunt your house or any of their victims they turned up and went we don't we got lost but hi i don't know if that would be cool It'd be a bit odd. I'm not convinced by that. <laughs> I don't know. Like, if you see a ghost in your house, you're going to like, what's your story? And you go, I'm Birkenhead's victim. Really? You're big- no, if I see a ghost in my house, I'm mainly screaming. <laughs> I'm not sitting down with a clipboard asking questions. I am, though. That's what I'm, I'm 100% there with a notepad. going, tell me everything amid no detail, no matter how small or filthy. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? That's what I'm saying. The ghosts leave. That's why I've not been haunted. They're like, fuck this shit. I can't deal with the admin. She just wanted a nice time, but it's like, my God, she just won't shut up. <laughs> Pretty much. So, yes, tell us your experiences of your ghosts in your house. Jump on the comments of our social media posts. Share your pictures of your cocktails that you're enjoying this weekend. Nick is confined to his house until 11.59 GMT Friday night. I think at 12 midnight on Saturday, everyone bombard him with messages. Yay! <laughs> I'm free. But do try the mean fiddler. <laughs> oh, give the mean fiddler a go. It is a an exceptionally lovely cocktail. A convoluted and many ingredients you want. It's it's damn good. It's really so good. So the recipe will be out on Friday as usual. So a perfect weekend treat for you. <laughs> do give it a go and let us know what you think. And tag us in your pictures of any cocktails you're enjoying this weekend. Just tag the poisonous cabinet, whatever they are. They don't have to be the ones that we've made up. Just show us you enjoying yourselves and having a good time be safe be covid safe also show us how wild and crazy you are in your living rooms <laughs> if you want to come and join us on patreon we are approaching a year on patreon which is very very exciting um and we've got some plans we've got some stuff coming up which is good Ooh, we've got a q a we've got a q a episode coming up soon which will be very exciting get to know more about me and Sinead for your listening delight so if you like listening to our ramblings every week you can have more of it What's in the mall to like? Thanks for listening, guys. We have been the people inside the Poisoner's Cabinet. We will see you next week. And remember, your loved ones are trying to kill you. Bye.